was way funny to me. I don't, I don't care what you guys think. I'm going to enjoy that all day. <clears throat> so uh, something that I came across, this was actually a big study that was done by Barna that um, was, was taking a bunch of things about uh, the church and, and um, Christianity and stuff like that into account. And, but this one, this one really kind of got to me, so I wanted to share it with you. It says that uh, 38% of people um, between ages 18 to 25 believe that Jesus Christ was human and committed sins like other people. Now, that's the age group of 18 to 25. Um, now, before you pick on the age group of 18 to 25, here is the other age groups. Gen X. Do you know if you're in Gen X? you're my age or Gen X, okay? Um, 38, 37% of Gen X believe that Jesus committed sins like other people. Millennials, millennials know who they are, and everybody else does too. So um, um, 35% of millennials believe that Jesus Christ committed sins like other people. How about baby boomers? Baby boomers, my, my parents' age. Uh, 35% believe that Jesus committed sins and was just a, just a human. As that's, our only hope in salvation is that he wasn't, uh, that he was sin-free, that he didn't commit sins. That's our only hope. That's, that's all we got. So um, I did want to mention, so today is the uh, newcomer's lunch at my house. If you are fairly new here and you have not been to a newcomer's lunch at my house, please come today. That's how sometimes I think maybe you don't know who you are if you can go or do whatever. Come to my house today. Um, we'll make sure you have the address and all that kind of stuff. But if you are newer and have not been to my house and I know who you are, I can see you right now. Come to my house. All right. Plus my wife, I think she's cooking tacos. Who doesn't want that? And don't show up just like, I'm new. No, you're not. If you're not new, you can't. Come. <laughs> All right, so I want to I wanna go over um, kind of a um, fairly big subject here. I want to look at some of the stuff that, that uh, we have to deal with when it comes to um, emotional, mental, specifically emotional and mental, but this also includes physical and spiritual health. But, but uh, some of the things that we struggle with uh, mentally and emotionally and things like that. Y- years ago, 15 plus years ago, I went through a time of depression about, um, I, I think it was two years. My wife says it was three. Um, we have discussed this. And uh, it, was, it was a lot of things that was happening um, to, to do this. Now, I want to make some overarching statements first before I jump into this. Because if uh, the trail I'm going to take through this, I'm not going to deal with all these different things. But I want to make sure that there's not some confusion here. Um, I, I believe that... that that Isaiah 30, uh, 53 has to do with uh, mental, emotional, spiritual, and physical health. All four of those things are included in that. Jesus died on the cross for all of those, okay? With that being said, all sickness comes from Satan. That doesn't mean that you did something that caused, that, you know, you'd sinned or something and therefore you got sick. That is not what I'm saying. But there was no sickness before Adam and Eve, right? There, I mean, before the fall. Um, and so the fall brought sickness, disease, brokenness. That includes mental and, and, and emotional health, too. The mental, emotional struggles and things that we do, go through, they're, they're, they're originating from Satan. But that doesn't mean that you are specifically doing something 
to give yourself over to Satan to cause that to happen, okay? I don't want there to be any confusion there. You can actually be living for Jesus and doing the things, and I think I'm going to show you through this, um, through some of the scripture this morning, that, that, that uh, Satan is always going to be trying to take you into times of depression and, and, dis- and discouragement, extreme discouragement and stuff like that. And, uh, but I also will couple that with this. A, a lot of times, in fact, I would say every time things like that are happening in our life, we are contributing to it at some level. That's also part of this, okay? doesn't mean you're causing it, but you're going to be contributing to this. For example, I'll give you some simple examples. Um, one is, um, uh, the, the, one of the best things to, to defeat some of the stuff going on with depression and, and deep discouragement is physical exercise. It causes things to happen in your body chemically, in your brain chemically. And uh, in fact, one of the things, I'm, I'm, I'm an avid gym rat. I have been for 30 years. Um, and it's not because I want to produce this amazing body you see standing before you. It's, um, which I'm adding to daily, by the way. So um, it's, because, it's because it helps me mentally. It helps me be a better pastor. When I exercise, I'm a better pastor, I'm a better husband, I'm a better father, those kind of things. It helps me see Scripture better and clearer because my mind is not as muddy uh, as it is when I'm not exercising. I know the difference. I can go two or three weeks without some kind of exercising mentality, and, um, and things start changing, Okay. Um, but here's the thing is the more we get discouraged and the more we get depressed, one of the first things we do is we stop um, exercising, which is a vital thing for us. Another thing is you need, you need um, connecting relationships. This is one of the tragedies of the, of the stupidity of the, the lockdowns and everything else. And it irritates me when people say, well, you know, that's because, that happened because of COVID. It didn't happen because of COVID. It happened because of our government. Um, our government shut us down. COVID didn't, and even the danger of COVID didn't. I still, I still hold strongly to, and I saw these statistics two major times. I showed them to us as the body. I, I brought them out in messages that, that all of the statistics for all the COVID deaths and everything were wrong. CDC on their own website two different times showed that the actual number of deaths was about 10% of what was being recorded, okay, which made it a... Difficult flu season. That's all it did. But the government shut us down, locked us down, all this other stuff, this pandemic mentality, and it separated, it isolated, and, and so much. We're still having many, many studies coming out saying that it, it, it destroyed many, many, specifically children, many people's lives in a lot of different ways. And a lot of suicides were attributed directly to this. Here's the, here's the thing. We know that we need relationships. We know we need connecting with other people. This is vital. But what happens when we start getting discouraged and depressed? We isolate ourselves. We lock ourselves away in our little um, isolated cave of life and, and stay in our homes. And, do all, and, and these things are hurting us. They're not helping us. I've watched this for years. When people are going through difficult things, they stop going to church. As you need, that's the time when you need to go. You need to stand beside somebody else that's singing and worshiping. And you may be at the darkest place of your life, but just standing beside somebody like that, and you can sense their passion and their heart for God, and then you sense the God's presence pulling on your soul. It'll pull you out of these holes. It'll help you. I've been in those places. Um, Some of the things that I learned going through my this time of depression, I did, let me give you some of the circumstances, because I did contribute to this a lot. Okay, Satan is always trying to hurt us. You'll see that. 
But I contributed this a lot. At, at this time frame of life, we were pastoring out east of Denver, and our church had been growing. It's the first time we had gone over 300 people in our, in our church during this time frame, and and um, that's actually, you say, what does that matter? That's actually a major transitional number. You have to do, you have to, you have to up your game a lot when it comes to the church and, and logistics and stuff. At the same time, I was um, in my master's program. And in fact, during this, this two to three year time frame, I went, I finished my master's and started my doctorate during that. At the same time, uh, our, our church had, had, we'd been working on it for four or five years. We finally got to the place where we were building uh, a home that belonged to the church. It was a parsonage. We are building a home, and I was the one building it. When we started, the church was like, let's do this together. We'll all get out there. We'll build it together. And I told the church, I said, guys, I just want you to know, I'm okay with this. I'll do this. I'm not a house builder, but I'll do it. But within two months, I'm going to be doing this by myself. Everybody's like, no, we got your back. We got... I wish it would have lasted two months. Now, there was a couple of guys that were consistent with me through the whole time, I'm off and on, but consistent with me doing this. But I was basically, for about nine months, I built a house. I'm not a house builder. And just living in it, you would have figured that out. <laughs> a couple of, every now and then I'd go, yeah, that's, that's why that's like that, because I did that. But um, So all of this stuff was compounding. Um, you know, we got three kids, um, elementary, junior high. Um, kind of, I think Jonathan was probably edging toward high school at that time. And, uh, and it was just overwhelming. And all of the stuff, all of the signs, I knew what was going on, and I just kept caving and caving and caving. I couldn't, it was too much, too much pressure. And, um, <clears throat> and, and there was a couple of things that I learned very valuable through this. One is, I, I've always been a voracious reader of the Word of God. That's not, that's not the problem. But I caught myself reading the Bible for messages, for people, and I wasn't reading it for me. And any time that I would spend... You know, the, the, as I because I always read in the evening. Anytime I would uh, spend my time reading to, for me, just, to, just because I was thirsty and hungry for God's word, when I would sit down at that table and begin to read um, to feed me, it was always a little bit brighter the next day, not quite as dark. Okay? And, uh, and, and, I, and I saw that over a quick period of time there. And, uh, and so I really began to adjust that. And, and another thing that happened during me, with me during that time frame is that my relationship with God really grew quite a bit. Um, my, my relationship with God never struggled, never got worse during that. It actually got stronger, and it kind of got to the point where that's almost like all I had. And I've heard people say this before, something along these lines, and I agree with this totally. God will get you to a point where you have no other options but him. And, uh, and that's actually good. It's not bad. Okay, uh, specifically if you're seeking him, if you're seeking him and you're saying, God, I want more of you, less of me and all this stuff, he'll say, okay, let's get you to a point where the less of me can actually happen and more of God can actually happen. And so, um, so that's part of what I learned through, through some of that process. Now with that, I want to I walk through some mentalities about, um, I, I hear uh, young people nowadays say um, that they are adulting. That's a term that you hear. You hear that term? I, I can't, I know this sounds... Negative when I say this, but what I hear when somebody says I'm adulting is I hear I'm really a kid trying to be an adult. That's what I hear. Because what is adulting? We've had a term for it for years and years, centuries, thousands of years we've had an ter a term for adulting. It's called life. It's called real life. 
Mommy's not protecting you anymore. Mommy's not taking care of you more. And that's what I hear. When I hear a 25-year-old say, well, I'm adulting, I hear, and, and I don't like it because mommy's not taking care of me. But it's called life. And you know what? Life is very difficult. Life, life can be devastating. Life can be tragic. It can be also beautifully amazing. I, I have really loved these last few days of this snow, snow. Just driving up to the church this morning, most of the mountains were covered by clouds, and you could just see peaks a little bit through kind of foggy. Man, that's beautiful. God's a pretty good painter. He creates some amazing stuff sometimes that we could, at our very best, taking a picture, drawing or something, we, we can't come close to what he can do, and it's real time. He's doing it actively. That's amazing to me. I think life is beautiful and amazing, but it can also be very difficult, be very challenging. People, people can be difficult and challenging, mean, callous. There are evil people you will come across. Um, it's interesting how easily we can attribute evilness to people when we just disagree with them, right? That's not the same thing. But there are evil people, and there are people doing evil things. And there are people that are trying to hurt you. That's just, that's just it. I'm sorry, but that's just the way it is. And with that, that caused a lot of problems and pressures and stuff like that. Now, I do believe strongly. Chuck Swindoll said years ago, he said, 10% of life is circumstances. 90% of life is what you do with those circumstances. And I, and I strongly believe that. It's how you act. It's how you react. It's how you think. It's how you process. If you, if you say, well, I'm, I, my, my life is just more difficult than other people. I just don't agree with that. I know people that have gone through very, very devastating things. Guys, I also know that you live life long enough and you're going to go through the devastating things. So do you stay there or do you move on? Do you let that be a building process that God can use, whether it was um, good or bad or however? Do you use that as a building process that, that, that you see more of the Lord, not less, that you serve him better, not less? Or do you allow it to um, control you or manipulate you the rest of your life? You, you're the one who decides that. So looking at some of this, I want us to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I've, uh, I, 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 you know, one of the things that I've noticed, and I think this got worse during the, the whole um, pandemic thing, was um, I, I think pe many people put too much emphasis on what they think is going on in other people's lives. I'll just give you a big clue to life right here. Most of your uh, disappointments and discouragements and everything else comes from um, unmet expectations. It's not actually circumstances. It's that you were expecting something to happen. You were thinking this should happen. It should go this way. Life should look this way. And it didn't go that way. Which, by the way, is what many, many people, everybody deals with that. But then we let it cripple us and control us and, and break us. Instead of saying, no, it's, God, I'm trusting you with this. And that's the reason we have to let God be in charge of our life and truly turn this over. Because the more we do that, the, the less we build expectations that can be torn down by, by life in the world and circumstances. Circumst uh, unmet expectations will guide a lot of your emotions uh, over time. Um, but with that, we look at things like Facebook and we say, oh, well, all those other people are happy and I'm not. That's not true. That's not true. It, most of what they're putting on there is not as exciting as they like it to be. How exciting is breakfast? I, I mean, seriously, I see this stuff on Facebook, and I'm like, I don't 
care what you, I mean, I, don't get me wrong. I like to see a nice plate of bacon just like the next person. But how exciting is your breakfast? I don't care. I don't mean that callously, but what happens is we have all this stuff and all this stuff, and we feel like we have to prove to people online who we are, what's going on. Then we, then we see somebody else, and they had a good time, so we have to make our time better. And then, then you've got somebody else that's on the other side of how we perceive this spectrum, and they're looking at this stuff and saying, my life is horrible, and my life is useless, and it's boring, and it's not as bad as you're making it be. But it's because you're relating it to somebody else. Live life and enjoy life the way God has designed you to live and enjoy life. Don't worry about everybody else. You see somebody that's in Hawaii for a vacation one week? Well, guess what they did the next week? They went back to work. They didn't put that online and be like, yeah, I'm rocking it at work Monday. Because why? We that's not exciting. Right? 2 Corinthians 4. We're just going to walk down through this chapter. We're going to do a few things with this. Therefore, since God in his mercy has given us this new way. Now, what is this new way? This is salvation. God in his mercy has given us salvation. We don't deserve salvation, but he's given it to us. We don't deserve forgiveness, but he gives it to us. We don't deserve a second chance or or a thousandth chance or a ten thousandth chance, but he gives it to us. Because why? He really does love us. And he really does enjoy being with us for the most part. He tells us sometimes he doesn't like being with us right then, right? To the point where sometimes he just floods the whole earth, <laughs> right? I mean, he does get irritated. But, but he really enjoys being with us and around us and connecting with us. And he wants relationship. Regardless of how we treat him, he still wants this relationship. Therefore, since God in his mercy has given us this new way, we never give up. That's the theme of, of everything that we're looking at this morning, is that I never give up. Why? Because God's given me mercy. Um, I, I uh, heard a song. In fact, I, I used to sing it years ago. came out of the uh, Brownsville Revival. I went to that. I heard this song. It really affected me. But um, there's this one part of the song that says, if... Um, if uh, if God ever, if Jesus never does anything else for me, the cross proves that He's good. And that, if we could live by that, our whole life would be different. If Jesus never does anything for me, never answers a prayer, never does anything, He's already good because He died for us. But then He also does stuff. How much better is even that? Much more amazing. We never give up because of that. We reject all shameful deeds and underhanded methods. We don't try to trick anyone or distort the word of God. That's a, that's a big one for the church right now. I believe that, the, well, the church has always dealt with this, but our version of it right now, it's becoming very strong and very powerful through the church, is we are actually um, trying to trick people and distort the word of God through much of the church. How do we do this? We pretend like sin is not that really that big of a deal. That abortion is not that big of a deal. That that's, it's not a black and white issue. This is, this, the church is doing this right now. It's not a black and white issue. You can actually, you know, you can, you can believe in murdering babies. That's not that big of a deal. All the LGBT stuff and the transgender stuff, 
The church is being silent on this because they don't want to offend people. When in actuality, they are the only hope for these people to see true love and truth and help, but they're keeping silent and they're preaching around it or preaching different things so that they can make people happy. So they'll come to the church. That's, to me, it's disgusting because you're hurting people. You're, 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 you're enabling destruction and death into their existence. And you won't stand up and say anything. But you have truth to fix the stuff, but you won't say anything. To me, that's the version of this scripture right now that we're dealing with. This distortion of the word of God for your benefit. So for what? So you can have more people in the church or you can have more money or you can do whatever. You can be liked and people buy your books. Think, think about if a book came out right now from the church, from Christ, some Christian word or somebody else, uh, published a book right now, The Dangers and, of the Sin of Homosexuality. They would sell three, and they would be, um, people would, would uh, march, what do you call that? Protest in front of their buildings and everything else. Guys, but that's, if there's any message that needs to get out there right now, it's that. People's lives are being destroyed. This isn't just a little choice. It's destruction. That's the distorting of the word of God. And he says, so Paul is dealing with this. The reason I'm saying that is Paul, these are all the things that are going on in Paul's world. He's seeing this distortion. He's seeing us. These are, these are pressures that are happening in his world. He said, we tell the truth before God, and all who are honest know this. I've said that to many pastors, specifically younger ones that are coming up and they're trying to figure out who they are and what their place is and, and what do they preach and not preach. Because they're getting a lot of, you know, you go to seminars and they tell you not to preach this stuff. They'll tell you that stuff. I, I was, three years ago, I was at an Andy Stanley um, conference and Craig O'Shell, but Craig O'Shell's pulled away from Andy Stanley because of this. Craig O'Shell's the real deal. I, I'm losing confidence in Andy Stanley every second. Some of the things he's even said in the last month or two. This one's kind of personal. He said, churches shouldn't be involved in politics. <laughs> so, and pastors shouldn't, shouldn't be preaching it, all this kind of stuff. But he said years, three years ago, I, I mentioned this, I quoted it, I showed video clips of this, that he said that, that we've got to start making our personal testimony that the preaching message, and we've got to stop, this is exactly the words he used, we've got to stop defending the 66 archaic books in the Bible as, the, as our priority. I saw him say it in person. I was sitting in the conference, and I used to love Andy Stanley, but he's wrong. Without those 66 archaic books, there's no salvation, and you don't have a testimony. Your story will not save anybody. Your story of a Savior that saved you will bring them to the truth of Jesus' story, which is salvation. As we, we've got to stop playing these games. This is the stuff Paul is dealing with at this time. This is why he's writing this. He says that the good news we preached is hidden behind a veil. It is hidden only from the people who are perishing. If you keep your mouth shut, you are condemning the people that are perishing. Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious, glorious light of the good news, which is the only hope for humanity. 
They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. You see, we don't go around preaching about ourselves. That's a whole sermon within itself. We preach that Jesus Christ is Lord. Guys, that's it. Jesus is Lord. I'm not God. You're not God. But Jesus is. And we ourselves are your servants for Jesus' sake. For God said, for God who said, let there be light in the darkness, has made this light shine in our hearts so we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. You get to see the glory of God through, the, through Jesus, through the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus is the only thing that makes you right with God. There's nothing else that will make you right. You can do all kinds of stuff. You can, you can say all kinds of prayers and do all kinds of work and all kinds of stuff. But it is only the blood of Jesus Christ covering your life, which you, which you accept by faith, that makes you right with God and then shows you his glory. It shows you how big he is. It shows you, it gives you, this blood covering gives you the opportunity to step into the presence and see um, what little of God we can handle. And he will show you the amazingness of who he is. And, and uh, what little of God we can handle will overwhelm us if we got it all. But he's big, he's amazing, and he do some really big stuff in your life. So it starts with this, Jesus, I've got to have you as my Savior. I've got to be covered with the blood. So I want us to, to we're going to get back to the rest of this, but I want to stop right now, and I want us to take communion together. If you don't have a communion thing, raise your hand. If you don't want to have one of these, raise your hand. <clears throat> Brandon, our own Paul Bunyan, will get that for you. Here's the reality of this, guys. You and I need Jesus. That's how simple it is. We need Jesus. I need Jesus to, ch to save me. I need Jesus to change me. I need him to forgive me. And I need that constantly. I need, I need to constantly be being covered with the blood. Now, I, I do believe you're covered with the blood. Righteousness is a, is a, is a, is a um, moment that begins. Holiness is a process of our life. That's our existence. But, but being covered with the blood is a decision that you make. Now, can you step out away from that? I believe very strongly that you can. I believe you can push God away and say, I don't want you anymore. Just like you can with a person. <clears throat> you can push them away and say, I don't want you in my life anymore. Now, God's going to make that very difficult on you, but he will respect that your free will at some particular point. Right? But with that, you need to be covered with the blood. You need to be covered. Because that gives you access to God the Father, which will show you his glory. And that's important for the rest of what we're going to be reading down through here. So in, in the, uh, the night, um, the night uh, of the garden, the night that he was betrayed, they're having um, this uh, Passover dinner together. And this Passover dinner they've been celebrating for thousands of years. That was the Exodus, the story out of Exodus. And when they were um, redeemed... Saved from slavery by the, the blood of a lamb put over their doorpost, right? That's what they're celebrating. And then Jesus really, really jumps into the middle of this with some crazy language. Now, we today, specifically if you grew up in the church, at any kind of church, uh, you don't see this as, as weird 
as much as they would have this time. They've been celebrating this for a long, long, long time. Every year, same dinner, same stuff. And all of a sudden, Jesus stands up at this dinner, and he does stuff, like take, sitting in the Messiah's seat, taking the Messiah's cup, different things that are going on. And every one of those was saying, he is God. And all of this Passover we've been celebrating for a long time was all about him. You, you know that some of the disciples have been like, that seems a little out there, Jesus. Right? But this is what he says to them, and this is what he says to us. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread, and he gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it into pieces, and he said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And I always, I always go back to Isaiah 53 that explains that, that Jesus died on the cross for all aspects of us, for our spirituality, our mental, our emotional, and our physical health. Redemption of all four of those things. We usually just make it a only spiritual redemption, which means we get to go to heaven. That's not what Isaiah 53 said. He says all of this. That's where we get the statement by the stripes that Jesus took on the cross. Um, we are healed. That's a physical thing. That's mentioned in Isaiah 53. At the cross, Jesus provided our healing. Now, I don't understand it, but somehow by the slicing of his skin, by slicing through his skin and slicing through the cells of his body, that provided the, the redemption and the healing of my cells today. I don't understand that, but it's true. I, I embrace that by faith 100%. I don't get it. It doesn't make sense to me. I understand scripturally. I can explain to you scripturally all day long, but I understand how it really happens. But by faith, I know that Jesus heals, and I have been healed, and many of you in this room have been healed. That he, he, that he heals me because of Jesus taking the brokenness. He puts me back together. Jesus gets broken. I get healed. Right? Lord, we thank you for, we thank you for this. We thank you for allowing your body to be broken. For, my, for, for me to be put back together. And so, Lord, I ask you to physically, just physically right now, just heal our bodies. Lord, I believe this applies to our mental health and our emotional health, spiritual health. Lord, you specifically, specifically isolated our physical health and said that you took these stripes for us to be healed. So, Lord, healed our bodies all through this room. And we embrace this. We embrace the cross in Jesus' name. Let's take the bread together. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I believe I am healed because your word says it. Your word says it. It's not just a request I have. Your word says it. In the name of Jesus. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. <coughs> anytime I ever take communion, since I was a little kid, anytime I take communion, I always ask Jesus to forgive me and wash me clean. I always. Basically, you could say I'm praying a um, salvation prayer. I I do. I don't think I'm not saved, but I just, I just always want my relationship with the Lord to be built on his word and to be built on repentance and being clean between he and I. Same with my wife. I don't want, I don't want there to be barriers or something between Linda and I, and so I work on that. 
It's, it's way more important with Jesus. Jesus, I ask you to wash me clean. Wash me with your blood, Jesus. Transform me by your blood. Lord, I embrace by faith that I'm forgiven, that I'm covered, and that I can step into the presence of God because your blood makes it possible. And that God is looking at me through the blood of you, Jesus. So God, I want right relationship with you. I want closeness with you. Lord, I want, I want to be redeemed. Lord, thank you for this. Thank you for your blood. Let's take the drink together. Lord, we are so humbled and amazed by you and your grace and your mercy that you love us and you take care of us and you forgive us and you wrap us up. You pull us in close constantly. Lord, I am, I am overwhelmed by that and amazed by that. How many times I've pushed you away and walked my own path and yet you're still right there. <coughs> Verse 7, <clears throat> 2 Corinthians 4, we now have this light shining in our hearts. I have that light shining in my heart. What? That Jesus did this. But we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. And, and Paul is walking. Now remember, he's already been talking about some stuff he's dealing with, with false teachers and all this other stuff. And he's saying, I do have this light shining in my life, but I'm still a clay vessel. I am still prone to fragility and brokenness because I'm human and you can't ever take that off the table. And this idea that sometimes the church world preaches, and I, I was involved in this at different times with some of the hyper-faith stuff, that if you really have a good relationship with Jesus, nothing goes wrong in your life. Tell that to Paul. Paul was a horrible Christian according to that theology. Right? And Paul's dealing with all this stuff. He says, this makes it clear, the fact that I'm a fragile clay jar, this makes it clear that our great power is from God, not ourselves. As, and when you are pursuing God and you're going after him, it's amazing what he can do and how he can protect you and keep you. But you are always, uh, what is it, Genesis uh, 9 says that Satan is always crouching at the door. I don't think it's chapter 9, but, but that Satan is always crouching at the door. Satan is always going to be trying to hurt you and tear you down and attack you and everything else. But you have the hope that Jesus Christ is bigger and that you can keep your eyes on Jesus. That doesn't mean that's always easy, but it is necessity. Keep your eyes on Jesus regardless of what's going on. And then he begins to explain how he's feeling and dealing with this stuff. We are pressed on every side by troubles, but we're not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. You, you know what I'm hearing a lot now, and even in the church, mostly in the church, is the first half of these sentences. We are pressed on every side by troubles, and then that's it. We are, we are perplexed. But it says, there's another half to the sentence. 
We're, pre- we're oppressed on every side by trouble, but we are not crushed. This is a statement of faith that Paul is making to himself and to those around him. And then he includes this on paper for us to know this 2,000 years later. Because why? We will be pressed. And we need to do everything we can to not be crushed. That's a, that's a decision. So, so Paul is traveling with Luke and some of these other guys... And they're, they're going to all these places, and it got to a point, and this is something when I was going through this time of depression, um, I, this, this chapter jumped out at me in ways I had never seen before. Some of this stuff, I realized Paul is not saying this in an ambiguous, uh, neutral sense about the body of Christ. We as the body of Christ, we oppress. No, he is saying, me, Luke, these other two or three guys, we right now are being pressed, and, it's, and it's, it's destroying us. But we are making a conscious decision to stand above that. Yes, all these other people are distorting the truth and they're lying and they're doing all these things. But, but we have to make a decision. We are pressed, but we are not crushed. Make that personal choice. I am not crushed. Yes, everything is pressing down on me, but I am not crushed. We are perplexed but not driven to despair. How many, how many people right now in our country are embracing despair? Reject it. Push it away. We are hunted down. You are going to be hunted down. Satan is trying to destroy you. And that's never going to stop. But you don't have to be scared of that. You don't have to be defeated by that. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. No matter how much Satan attacks you, God is standing right there. We can't always see it, but Satan comes rushing at us and wants to try to take us out, and and he bumps into God. And God doesn't move. We were never abandoned by God. We get knocked down. Do you hear his language? I I really think, and I may be overstating this, but, but this was... This was life to me when I saw this. I think Paul was on the precipice of of depression. I think Paul was on the precipice of giving up. That's why the very first verse, verse 1 says, we never give up. Why is he saying that? I think he is telling himself, Paul, that is not the choice you have. You do not give up. Because why? He's wanting to. That's why he's saying it. But we never give up. We get knocked down, but we're not destroyed. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus. So the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. I really believe that the difficulties of life are what really grows you. They really develop you and mature you. I don't like them, but the reason that, I, that, that God has done so many strong, positive things in my life is because of the difficulties that I've gone through, not the good times. That's right. What, what good for you, not good, what good for you is whipped cream? I love those cans, the, you know, that kind of thing. I love those. And I read on them one time that, that there was only, that when I was doing a carb-free diet, I read on there that, that there's only two carbs. So I was like, all night. And Linda came over and took the can from me, and she said, Two carbs per serving. 
There is 62 servings in this can. I was like, shh, shh. And at that moment, I thought to myself, she should really mind her own business more. <laughs> yes, we live under constant danger of death because we serve Jesus. You don't think that could push you to, to depression? Constant danger of death. Most of us don't live under constant danger of death because of our relationship with Jesus. But Paul did. So that the life of Jesus will be evident in our dying bodies. So we live in the face of death, but this has resulted in eternal life for you. So I want to tell you a story because I, um, and, and I also want to mention, um, I, I do, I do believe that the Holy Spirit is the answer for discouragement and depression and things like that. But I also think there are other things. Like I mentioned earlier some things. But I also think counseling is important. And I started 15, this was really more than 15 years ago, but whenever this was, I started taking some, uh, some medicine. I don't know the name of it. My wife does. But um, I, she just calls it my happy pill. And so, <laughs> but it's some kind of anxiety pill or something like that. And... Um, and I, I've been taking this for years and years. And here's the thing is I used to think that was wrong or bad or whatever the case is. You're not trusting God if you, if, uh, you take a, um, some kind of depression or anxiety pill or something like that. And I had this pastor come to me. And I'll say the exact way he said it to me. I'm not trying to be crude, but he had a legitimate point. He said, um, he said once a month, your wife gets to a point where she's difficult to be around. Correct? And I looked around to make sure she was nowhere near and I said, more than you know, save me, you know. And he said, because here's the thing. I'm going to just say this for guys everywhere, and then we're going to move on. It's amazing how many women really don't think they change <laughs> once a month. <laughs> so <laughs> they'll argue. I've had them argue it with me. All right, so let's move on. So... <clears throat> And he said, she will take medicine for that, for the physical and emotional and mental side of this. And I said, right. He said, do you want her to take that medicine? I said, more than I want to breathe air. <laughs> and he said, then why can't you do the same thing for you? It's just chemicals going on in your body that you can adjust. And all my chemicals do, if my life is this, it just does this. So I'm not as irritated or sad or angry or something else. I'm also not quite as happy, which is, I think, what my family's trying to do to me. It just kind of carves off the, I don't get as excited kind of thing. But I, I want to say that because I do believe that the Holy Spirit is the answer for this. But sometimes the Holy Spirit, that's how he does it, through that. But here's the story. Years ago, first church I was ever at was a youth pastor. I was actually, um, I'd finished the second year. I'd gone to one state university. I was in the Navy at the time, went to a state university, transferred to a Bible uh, university that, that my daughter just graduated from. And, um, and so then I'm about to be my third year headed toward, um, toward uh, third year of, of college. And, uh, and I hadn't done really well, so I don't know for sure if I was going to be able to be allowed back in. I had, my grades were horrible. Okay, I'd failed all of them. Except swimming. I did really well in swimming. But I, I, um, I got a phone call from a pastor who was my mom's cousin, and, and um, he said, would you like to be uh, our youth pastor? And I was like, no, I'm not called to youth. I'm called to missions. 
And, um, but God really began to work on me, convict me about that, that I'm the one who decided I was called to missions. God had, the only thing I knew from God is that he had called me into ministry. I decided missions. So God began to work on me, and I realized I was supposed to do this. This was God's plan. So I went to be the youth pastor of this church. I was 20 years old. And, um, and, this, and here's the stuff I didn't know. God knew all of this, by the way. And he was going to use every bit of this. But here's what I didn't know, is that the pastor didn't actually want a youth pastor. The church board had said, you're going to get a youth pastor. The church was almost 1,000 people, did not have a youth pastor. Not a children's pastor, nothing. It was just him. And, uh, and he liked that control, and he liked that, that financial side of that and all kinds of stuff. And so they said, we, you, you need to get a youth pastor. So he calls me up, assuming I could be some kind of um, goof that would just go along with whatever. And I was, by the way. And, um, and the whole time I was very submitted to him, very humble and all this. And, and I didn't know all this. but So I get there. Well, he fired the janitor to be able to afford to pay me. This was a church with many, many multimillionaires. This was oil-filled West Texas. The church had millions and millions of dollars. But he fired the janitor so I could be on staff. And guess what that meant I had to do? I was now the janitor. This is a very large facility. They were in the middle of building a sanctuary. Now, I just talked to a guy a few months ago that said, you, you were there in, in that church? And I said, yeah. I said, I was there when it was built. He's like, that church has been around forever. Shut up. <laughs> this was 30 years ago, 32 years ago. So, so every day I'm in there cleaning, doing all this stuff. I had to get to church at 7 in the morning, and I would leave around 6 because that was, I could, it was a big job. I couldn't get it all done. And, and um, the pastor got there the crack of 11 every day. And so I, uh, I, I, was, I was wanting to do the youth stuff. I would have youth services on Wednesday night. And so I, one, one week I was like, you know what? I'd been there two or three weeks, and I thought, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. I'm going to show uh, the pastor how awesome I can be at all of this. I started getting there very, very early and, and sometimes staying. I was single. Lynn and I were engaged, but she was on the other side of Texas. And, um, and so I would get there early, and I would stay late, and I would, I would um, sometimes, when I mean late is like 8 o'clock, I would be from like 7 till 9 at night, or 6 till 8 or 9 at night, and I would do all this stuff. And I did that on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, so by Wednesday at noon, I was free to just go to my office and work on youth stuff, because I thought I was the youth pastor. And um, so I go there, and my pastor comes walking in, and he looks at me, and he says, what are you doing? And, I said, and I'm thinking he's going to be proud of me. I was like, I have been busting my rear. I got all this stuff done so I can spend all this afternoon getting ready for youth tonight. He just walked out. What he did was, I didn't follow him or anything. He just walked over to the building, said he did, went over there and did some stuff. And then he came back three, four minutes later and he said, Scott, I've been over to the building. It's, it's, not, it's not clean. It's not ready for service tonight. You need to go over there and take care of that. I was devastated. I thought he was going to be proud of me. So I, I go over there, and I sit down in this big chair in the foyer, and I'm discouraged. I don't know what to do. And I realized I didn't try to do this at first. After, the longer I sat there, the more I decided this was my decision, is I didn't actually do anything in the building. I just sat there in that chair. And I'm praying, God, I, am I the youth pastor? Am I not the youth pastor? And You know, what's going on? And So I go back over to the office, and he said, you get it all done. I said, come look. And so he walked over there, he opened the, the doors, looked into the four-year area, and he goes, now this is what I'm talking about. This is what I needed you to do. <laughs> I realized at that moment he had no intention of be, being the youth pastor. Now, I didn't know the other stuff. I didn't know he was f- kind of forced to do this. 
But this really devastated me. I didn't know what to do. And there was a lot of difficult things. Every, every way, this guy was very dishonest. He, was, he did uh, illegal things. I watched this stuff happen. He did very um, unethical things. I watched this stuff happen. This was, this was, I'm 20 years old. This is my first gig. I did not grow up in the church. I mean in ministry. I grew up in the church, but not in ministry. Linda grew up in ministry. So four or five months later, we get married. She now comes to this church. And uh, I mean, she immediately, and I'm t- I've been telling her stuff over the phone. Um, but she gets there, and she starts seeing this stuff. And she keeps telling me, Scott, this is not ministry. This is not how ministry works. And her dad was, was an amazing pastor. Right about the time we got married, he went to uh, Africa to be a missionary and is still doing that. He's kind of retiring right now. But he was a great pastor, and, and, and I loved him being my pastor. And she kept saying, this is not ministry. This is not ministry. Don't give up. And so quite a few more months of just junk. The 11th month I was there, this major thing happened where I, I didn't know it was happening, but um, this big issue blew up and something else, and I got blamed for all this stuff because some wealthy people in the church were going to be mad at the pastor. And, and money is the only thing that drove, drove him. And so he blamed all this stuff on me. I didn't even know what was happening. And when I found all this out, I, I was sitting in a meeting with him, and, and I realized to these people, he's blaming me for something. I don't even know what it is. And I was done. I was done. You know, just a little side thing. We found out a couple years later through some strange circumstances that the church had given me two raises while I was there, and he told the, secretary, the treasurer never, not to give them to me. I didn't know that. And, um, but, but I was very naive also. And also, guys, let me, let me just say this. Um, I really still had a, a strong, hard-headed, rebellious thing going on. I, I love Jesus. I was trying to serve him, but it was like on the edge. You know what I'm talking about. Some of you probably are dealing with it now. But uh, I, I know it. And so God was knocking the edges of that off too. All right. There were some good things that came out of this. But this is, this is how it all ended up big situation. I said, Linda, I'm done with this. I'm just going to go back to East Texas and I'm going to get a job. I don't want to be in the ministry. This is stupid. And these are hours and hours of conversations and crying and praying. And, and she kept saying, but this is not ministry. This is not ministry. A friend of ours called us up and said, hey, there's a church looking for a youth pastor. This guy is now a missionary in Madagascar. But um, he said there's a church. Or he was a youth pastor also. We ended up going to that church to be the youth pastor. When I told my pastor, the, the pastor of the other church, who was a solid pastor, he was an amazing leader, he taught me a lot about how to be a good pastor, a good leader and stuff while I was with him for about three years. And, um, but he told me, he says, when you resign, you need to tell your pastor that you're going to give him a month. I'm like, why? <laughs> and he said, that's etiquette. It's unethical to do something else. So I said, Okay. So I go to my pastor the next day. We'd gone to interview with this pastor, and I told him, I said, I'm, I'm resigning. Um, I want to give you a month. And he said, no, you need to be gone by the end of the week. He didn't know. I was like, yes, sir. <laughs> so then I said, how do I tell the church or whatever? He says, you don't say anything to the church. He said, you stay quiet. I'm going to let you resign to the church on Wednesday night, but I don't want you to tell anybody you're leaving. I said, okay. This was a, this was a Monday morning. So... Um, so Wednesday night we get to the church and, and in that church we had big thrones on the um, platform and I sat in a throne that was my official seat by the way I think that is disgusting when churches do that okay um, 
But I, I, I sat in my throne the whole service, and he preached, prayed for people, did all this stuff. And I kept waiting for the moment when he's going to say, resign. And um, uh, it gets to the end of the service. Everybody's kind of leaving, and he said, just wait right there. So I'm still sitting on the throne. And, um, and he said, just wait there. And I, I'm here in just a second, you're going to resign. It's okay. Waited, waited, waited. Finally, there's nobody in the sanctuary still sitting there waiting, and he's just standing on the front of the platform just looking at me. He's facing this way, just looking at me and my, on my throne. It's a v- really big building. And so finally his wife, so this was all premeditated, his wife steps in way back there at the, at the doors going out toward the foyer, and she opens the door and hollers in, okay, everybody's gone. And there was one guy there, and it was his good friend. He was sitting in the sound booth. And um, so he, he looked back and made sure the guy turned the mic on, and he handed me the mic. This is an empty sanctuary. Handed me the mic. He said, okay, now resign. I was like, really? Why, why are you treating me this way? Even if I was an idiot, I'm a punk 20-year-old. Maybe I don't know better, which I, I wasn't doing bad things or anything. But he said, I want you to resign. And I've always believed strongly in being respectful to authority, so I got up and resigned to an empty building. And I resigned exactly like I had written it down that I was going to do. But there's nobody in the... Well, that's not really true. My wife is sitting right there crying, just bawling because of this stupidity. And that's why I resigned to an empty church. And then he told me, when I handed him back the microphone, he said, now, I want you gone by the end of the week, and I don't want you to talk to anybody. And uh, the church board had a, we didn't know this. We thought it was a friend of ours inviting us for dinner that Friday night. And um, when we get there, the, all the board's there, but the pastor's not there. And they said, they didn't know I'd resigned. And they said, we think there's some problems going on. Can you talk to us about some of this? And, I, and I've had people disagree with this, but I strongly stand, and I, and I still do today, I told him, no, that's my pastor. He's my authority. And Lynn and I left. I've had people say, well, you had the obligation to set, you know, to bring that to light or do whatever. Maybe, maybe so. I've heard some good arguments about that. But I didn't feel like that at the time. Now, why am I telling you all this? Guys, I know what it is for a church to treat you bad. And that's just one of many stories I've got. Not... Even when I was the lead pastor of churches treating me bad, I know what it is for a pastor to be a jerk and to treat you bad and distort the word of God. I know what this is. And here's the other side. It was my everything. It was my job. It was my life. I was done, and I was leaving the ministry because how dare somebody act like that? I'm a human being. Don't act like that. Verse Verse 13. But we continue to preach. It doesn't matter what people do to you. You don't don't let other people define you. You don't let them define you mentally, emotionally, spiritually. Don't let them define you. But I continue to preach. And that's what God called me to do was to preach the gospel. He's called me to ministry. So that's what I'm going to do. And if I have a church building to do this in and a paid salary, I'll do it. And if I don't, I will do it. 
And I've proven this at different times in my life. When I didn't have the job or the position, I still witness to people and I still preach and I still minister because that's what God has called me to do. And guys, he has also called you to do the same thing. You do not let people define you. You don't let circumstances define you. But we continue to preach because we have the same kind of faith the psalmist had when he said powerfully, I believed in God, so I spoke. Why do I speak? Because I believe in God. Not because I'm given a place or somebody else ratifies it. I believe in God, therefore I speak. That's what we do. We know that God who raised Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and present us to himself together with you. All of this is for your benefit. And as God's grace reaches more and more people, there will be great thanksgiving and God will receive more and more glory. Guys, this is, this is the key. Dan came up to me Wednesday and was talking to me about he had an opportunity to witness to some people. And, uh, and they gave their hearts. They were really, the way he described it, very primed and ready by the Holy Spirit. And they gave their heart to Jesus. Guys, that's, that's how we get grace moving through our communities and our lives and our children and our schools as we preach Jesus to people. We tell them. And that's how we change governments and, 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 and um, the, the junk and the evil of the day. That's how we push it back as people get saved. That's how we win this battle. This is why we never give up. You don't give up because of something that happens. That's not Jesus. You never give up because you're serving Jesus. And he will never abandon you. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small and won't last long. That story now, when I tell it, people are like, oh, that's horrible. To me, it is, it is comical today. What did he think he was accomplishing? Why was he beating me down like that? I wasn't a bad guy. I hadn't done anything but respect him and, and, and support him. It's comical to me now. By the way, he's family. I had to, for the first four or five years after that, I would see him like at Thanksgiving and stuff. I haven't seen him in years now. One time. Uh, 15 years ago, he stopped by my church by Denver. He's like, hey, how are you doing? I was like, what are you doing here? And I walked over and hugged him, told him I missed him. He was my idol when I was growing up. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So, so we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things that we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. Amen. Stand with me if you would. Here's where it comes to, guys. I serve Jesus. You've got you to gotta be able to say that. I serve Jesus. I don't serve people. The only reason I serve people is because I serve Jesus. I love Jesus. The reason I love people is because I love Jesus. If we get that out of balance, if we think we're supposed to be about serving people, it'll crash and burn somewhere. We serve Jesus. That's why we serve people. Second part is there will be difficulties in life. There is. Can't get away from that. 
There are things on your horizon right now you don't know about that can be difficult, tragic even. But God's still God. Let those things push you toward the Lord. And the last one is my hope and my joy comes from the Lord. Nowhere else. Not in my job, not in money, not in people, not even in my family. My joy comes from the Lord. we got to be there. Lord, we submit ourselves to you. Jesus, you're my hope. You're my tomorrow. Lord, you're my right now. Lord, you're also that moment I just talked about. Lord, you were right there. You had your arm around me. Lord God, I thank you. I thank you for every single thing that has brought me to this place in life. And Lord, I will not let them tear me down, crush me, bring despair. I'm going to let them push me toward you so that I can find my joy because it's in you. Lord, my hope is in you. Lord, I pray for everybody in this room, the emotional, mental stuff that they may be going through. Lord, you're the, you're the answer. I can't convince them, but you can. Show them right now. Dig deep into their spirit and show them. You you're the, you're truly are the answer. Holy Spirit, you're the, the, the comforter and the counselor, so do that. Comfort and counsel us right now. God, we thank you. You're so big. Regardless of what's going on in our country, you're so big. God, gas prices didn't catch you off guard. You're so big. So wrap your arms around us. Pull us in close. And just let us know right now that you are God over everything and that you've got this. You've got this. God, I pray against any kind of despair, depression. God, I pray against that. I pray against that engulfing darkness that tries to cover us. In the name of Jesus. God, give us a week this week where we recognize the joy of the Lord in a fresh, brand new way. That we see hope in a freshness in our life this week. Lord, I... I pray that over. However that works, I pray that over everybody in this room. In the name of Jesus. Because you are big. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, before noon tomorrow, God's going to let you See somebody that needs him and give the opportunity to tell him. Do the best you can. Tell somebody, you know, Jesus really loves you. He's got a good plan for you. So shake somebody's hand. Tell them how glad that you are that it warmed up. And, uh, and if you're new here and you haven't been to my house, please join us. We will see you Wednesday night for the Lego thing, or we will see you next Sunday. Have a great rest of your day.
your heart What stirs your soul What matters come to mind The cares you keep The thoughts you think It's not all wasted time Seeking you will find Joy still comes in the morning Hope still walks with the hurting If you're still alive and breathing Praise the Lord Don't stop dancing and dreaming There's still good news worth repeating So lift your Child inside 